Good morning, TCC. My name is Sharon. My husband Anoop and I and our uh, three kids have been attending TCC for the past five and a half years. Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. I will be reading from the New International Version. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Twilliger Community Church. It is always a joy to be together and to worship with one another. Well, the story goes of a pastor who moved from the city into the rural community. And having always lived in a city and doing his ministry in a city, he had no need for a vehicle. He could go and walk around and visit his congregation as he needed to. But moving out to this rural community, he found that for him to be able to see the various people in his congregation, he was going to need to be able to get around. So one of the farmers at his church offered to him this little motorcycle that would be able to navigate all of the rural roads and get him from one farm to another to visit the various people in his congregation. So he thankfully takes this motorcycle and begins ripping around this rural community. And he would go farm to farm to farm. But one day, while he was between two farms, his motorcycle stopped working. It came to a stop on this rural road, and the the pastor, frustrated, gets off and begins looking at all the different components. What is not working? Why isn't my motorcycle moving? Unable to solve the problem, he puts it in neutral, and he starts walking down the road uh, to the nearest farmer's house. This other farmer who, you know, all farmers are mechanics. They begin looking at the, the thing and uh, the, the pastor's like, he's like, yeah, I don't know. Is it, is it the fuel pump? No, it's not the fuel pump. Is something wrong with, with the, the starter? Is it, it's just not getting going again. He's like, no, it's not the starter. And he's looking at all these parts and the farmer finally looks at him and said, pastor, you have run out of gas. <laughs> Having not owned a vehicle before, he did not realize that the most important element of getting this vehicle to move was not in the motorcycle. The fuel was missing. None of us would dare go on a road trip without first stopping at the local gas station to fill up our vehicles. Why? Because fuel is a necessary component in us being able to get to where we are going. When we think about our lives, there are several necessary components that we need in order to get to where we want to go. For some of us, it's simply coffee in the morning. 
for others of us, it's maybe our routine, the things that we surround ourselves with, this idea that, man, if I just engage in the right type of lifestyle, I will get to where I want to go. Uh, for others of us, we think of our spiritual disciplines and habits as things that help to form and shape us, the necessity of prayer and Bible study, which are all important. We view as these components that we need in order to get to where we want to go in life. Something that I love, though, when we look at Scripture is Jesus let us know what is the most essential component for us to move in the direction that he has called us to go. When we think about our relationship with with God and God's desire for us, he desires that we would become more and not less. He desires that we would become more like Jesus. And when we think about our church and our community, it's our desire that our church would not just kind of gather week in and week out um, with no real purpose. But we recognize that as we gather, uh, we want to be a community that is continually growing to become the community God wants us to be. We want to be a community that's reaching out into our community, one that is making a difference in our city, one that is making a difference just here in our neighborhood, one that is making a difference in the lives of each person who calls this place home. How do we get there? What is the essential ingredient that we need in the tank? Well, Jesus answers this question in John chapter 13, where he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What is the essential component, the thing we need in the tank to get us to where Jesus wants us to be? It's love. Jesus told his disciples that they were to be a community of love. Throughout this series of life together, we've been talking about um, the type of community that we want to be. We've talked about being a community of common identity, that as we come into this space, we, we come under this one banner of Jesus Christ, and um, we have a common identity in him, a common purpose in him. We've, we've talked about being a community of accountability, the recognition that faith, our, our life with Jesus, is no do-it-yourself project, but we require the company of friends, the voice and the encouragement of one another to get us to where Jesus is leading us to go. We talked about being a community of diversity or a fellowship of difference, a community of generations, that though we come together and recognize there are so many things that that could keep us apart, so many differences among us, that Jesus Christ brings unity in the midst of our diversity. We've talked about being a community of vulnerability and our heart for this congregation that it would be a place where people are known by others, but that they're also actively engaged in knowing the people that they're worshiping alongside each Sunday. We recognize that in order to move in this direction at all, we need to be a community of forgiveness. That when we wrong one another, we are quick to forgive. And that we, while we engage in the world around us, we will remain quick to forgive. And last week, Pastor Steve reminded us that we are called to be a community of contribution. That God has equipped each and every one of you with the things that are necessary for us to do the tasks that God has called us to do. So we come together, we bring those gifts, and we participate together in moving in the direction that Jesus wants us to go. And all of this is great. Vulnerability, forgiveness, common identity, 
a fellowship of difference, but friends, without love. Without love, moving in that direction is futile. The context of our passage this morning, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe speaks to this reality. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is, is telling the church all about all these gifts that God has given them. And he's telling them that this beautiful metaphor that you as the church are the body of Christ. Paul is bringing this teaching though for a specific reason. Not just to educate and teach the Corinthians about the gifts. But Paul is also recognizing that in the church there's been some division and some splintering around this whole idea of spiritual gifts. So Paul is seeking to bring clarity uh, to the idea around gifts. And he recognized that in the church people were kind of saying, well, my gift is maybe better than your gift. My contribution is greater than your contribution. What gift do you have? Oh, that one? That one's not very good. I have this one. And Paul brings to correct all of this, and he ends chapter 13 with this punch where he says, I'm going to show you still a more excellent way. This church was so excited about all the gifts, all the things that they could do, all the things that they had to offer. And Paul is saying, all of that is great, but I want to show you something still even more excellent. And in our text, he begins to break this down for us. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I think about this, this picture of these people who are, man, look at the languages I can speak in. Look in the ways that I use words. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it cool? And I think about how we all face this desire to maybe be more popular in a community. We think about even as a church how we want to have fancy marketing to be something that can attract other people. But Paul is saying you could have all of this, but without love, You're just a noisy, clanging symbol. And he goes on, and if I have prophetic powers, understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so as to move the mountains, just think about that. You have have all this ability. Maybe we go out into the community and we pray for people and they're healed. Wow. We get up and we teach the gospel. People are responding to the word of God because we're teaching so well. Paul is saying we can have all of that. You can have all the spiritual gifts. You can have all the signs and wonders. But if you have, if you do not have love, you are nothing. Paul goes on. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, we could be the most generous church. We can give and give and give and make a difference in Terwilliger Town, in Edmonton, in, in downtown uh, communities where, where there's lots of need. We could make a difference in our province, in our country. We could do all of this, but Paul is saying, if you do not have love, you gain nothing. Friends, I would love for Terwilliger Community Church to be one that is known where where people have profound encounters with God. I would love for this church to be one where people learn and grow in their understanding of the Bible, where we are actively evangelizing and leading people to Jesus. I would love for our church to be known for one that is incredibly generous. But we must first be a people who are known for their love. We might be able to be known for our teaching. We might be able to be known for our generosity. We are certainly known for our brunch. There are lots of things we can be known for. But if we are not known for our love, we are a clanging symbol. We are nothing. We gain nothing, says Paul. So we would do well 
in this conversation about becoming a community, about doing life together, to ask the question of what's underneath it all? Are we motivated by love? Or are we motivated by something else? Are we being driven forward by love? Or are we being driven forward by our our own ambitions? Are we seeking to build a church that is highly popular, that we're excited to invite our friends to? Or are we first committed to being a community of love? Now, before we jump too much into this, we need to ask the question of what is love? Because this word love has become more and more confusing when I start looking at the way that it is used in our culture. It is very easy for people to talk about loving their family or loving a friend or loving their spouse and then turn around and talk about their love for the Edmonton Oilers or their love for a piece of pizza. (laughs) But a slice of pizza, even a very good one, the love for that should not be equal to the love for a spouse spouse, or, or is it? And the way that I think our culture often uses love is that they, they talk about love in a way that is rooted in the self. We use the word love simply to mean attraction, to, to mean feelings of affection or feelings of desire. But what's interesting about this is oftentimes when we use the word love, especially when we're talking about a piece of pizza or something, is that we're confusing the word love perhaps with the word lust. Because what I say when I say I want to... Well, that I love a piece of pizza, what I'm really saying is that I want to consume it for my own pleasure, right? That's what I'm saying. And sadly, we live in a day and age where it is actually appropriate to use the word love in that type of way when referring to a person. To say that I love them, which is to say I want to consume them for my own pleasure. I want them to meet a deep need in me. I want them to satisfy something deep in me. But I don't think that's what love is. The problem when love is defined in this type of way is highly conditional. When the object of our love stops providing us what we are wanting, or when the object of our love is no longer attractive, we just move on. We're done with it. It can no longer do for me what I want it to do. In this sense, our love is rooted in self. And in our day and age as well, love is often confused with the words tolerance or acceptance. Our culture talks about how to love is to embrace the whole of a person without question. That we should never question anything. We should just completely accept everything someone is saying or doing. However, the confusion of this caves into itself when media or the masses dictate what is worthy of acceptance or tolerance. Which means that the definition of love as acceptance or tolerance is constantly changing. Because we live in a day and age where we don't have a definition of good or evil. And I won't get too philosophical here because I myself am not a philosopher. But love in our culture, the definition of it keeps moving. The popular slogan, love is love, further proves this point that the word love has been released to mean whatever one person wants it to mean to them. Unless their definition is unacceptable to our culture. (laughs) Then now we have a problem. Well, this leads to the question, well, can love actually be defined? Can we define love? Yeah. Why can we define love? Because God has defined love for us in his word. No matter what culture might say love is, no matter what a friend might say love is, no matter what anyone might say love is, we need to get our understanding of love from the Bible. 
And when we talk about loving one another, we need to ask the question of, well, what does it mean to love one another in accordance to Scripture? What does it mean to show love? Well, the Bible answers this question for us. Now, if we were to trace a biblical theology of love from Genesis to Revelation and kind of unpack the different themes of it, uh, this is my current working definition of love. Um, That love in the Bible is a feeling of deep affection rooted in commitment and expressed in self-sacrificing service. Okay? So is there a feeling element to love? In Scripture, absolutely there is. You look at any Bible dictionary, um, when you look up the word love, the concept of affection or feeling or emotion is always there. But what is also always there is the idea of commitment. And then, of course, we have Jesus, who is love, who demonstrated love to us, expressing love through self-sacrificing service. My favorite... um, working definition around love and then way to flesh it out is um, the, the work of theologian Scott McKnight, who talks about love as commitment. He just defines love is commitment in the Bible, if you were to sum it up into one thing. And he looks at it through three different ways. He says, first, love is a commitment to be for someone. And he talks about this idea of love as being for someone means that you are committed. A commitment to be for them is, sorry, this is in the wrong order. It should be a commitment to be with somebody is the first one. I got these all wrong, and that's totally my fault. Ignore the screen. Um, love is commitment. <laughs> uh, the first is that commitment to be with somebody. That when we are with them, um, it's this, this concept of presence. I'm committed to being with you in your life. No matter what happens, through thick and through thin, I am with you. I'm committed to be with you. The second element of this is that it is a, love is a commitment to be for someone. And the idea of being for someone is, is kind of this, this idea of you got my back and I got yours. That not only am I with you, a presence in your life, but I am for you. I am in your corner. When someone pushes you down or despises you, I'm still there. When you're going through the most difficult time of your life, I am still there. I am for you. I'm working with you to move you towards your good. Which leads to this third part. Oh, here we go. This slide's right. Um, Is to be unto somebody, in the words of Scott McKnight, which is this idea that love in the Bible is always directional. Okay? That when we love in the scriptural sense, we aren't simply loving someone only as they are, but we are loving who they will become. And again, when we look at scripture, who are we supposed to become? Well, God's will for each of us is that we would be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. We read in Romans chapter 8. So love is a commitment to be for someone through presence, to be with someone, sorry, to be with someone through presence, to be for someone through advocacy, and to be unto someone, which is directional, which is loving someone into their best. This is something we see in the context of marriage all the time. That when a a man and a woman come up and they say to one another that they love one another, that they are committing their lives to one another, it is a commitment to be with them, a commitment to be for one another, a commitment to be unto one another, to see them become more the people who they are meant to be. So in this we see that love is not simply what we read about in what we see in culture, this idea of simply a feeling or based on affection or desire. Love should never be consumed with lust where it's about, I just want to consume you for my own pleasure. 
And love also shouldn't be confused with acceptance or tolerance because Christian love is always directional. Moving people in the direction that God has called them to be. And I believe that Scott McKnight's definition of love as a commitment to be for, with, and unto someone works really well when we look at 1 Corinthians 13. Because Paul goes on to describe what love is. He says, love is patient. And love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Friends, this is the love that we are called to. Now, I'm curious how many of us felt like we were in a wedding ceremony uh, when Sharon got up and started reading 1 Corinthians 13. A few of us, maybe, a few few nods. We always read 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of a, a wedding ceremony, right? But friends, Paul is not writing to newlyweds. Paul is writing to a church. So while we find it acceptable to have such a high standard of love for a young couple who are committing their lives to one another, we shy away from having the same level of commitment-based love with the people you are sitting in these chairs among this morning. But that is what Paul is calling you to. Look around this room. These are the people that Paul is saying that you need to be patient with, kind with, slow to anger, keeping no records of wrong. These are the people that you are to never give up on, never lose faith towards. These are the people that you are supposed to be hopeful that no matter the choices they make, uh, that God is going to work good in their lives and lead them more into Christ's likeness. These are the people that you need to endure with through every circumstance. I don't know about you, it makes me uncomfortable when I think about 1 Corinthians 13 in this context. And I grew up in the church. But friends, if we are going to live into Jesus' prayer for us and this desire that we would be a people of love, we need to believe that. We need to love one another in the way that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians. Here we see that love is a self-sacrificial commitment to the other's best. This is a love we're to have for one another in and outside of our Christian community. This is what we are called to. I love too in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 19, Paul makes this statement to them, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This, we hear Pastor Paul, his heart burning for his congregation. This longing that they would become the people that God desires them to be. Do we have that type of love for one another? Because that is what we are called to. And friends, living in this way is a great and worthy investment. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass 
away. Paul here is going on to stress the reality that the things we are investing in, the things that we are trying to put in the tank, if it is not love, it's going to pass away. We need to invest all that we are to being a people of love. It needs to be our first priority. As we minister alongside one another, we need to think through the context of love. Am I loving the people around me? When we think about ministering into our community, we need to think about how are we doing that in a loving way. Not in a way to simply promote our church or to to look like a great Christian. But how do we do all that we do in love? Because everything else will pass away. And... Something that's interesting to me about this, if love is this important, we really have to consider the cost that hate and unforgiveness has on our souls. When we keep ourselves from love, when we keep ourselves from loving one another. Friends, what I love about what Paul is describing here is that he's pointing to us, really, the the person of Jesus Christ. Because this love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 really is the love that we see demonstrated by God. And in 1 John chapter 4, we have another definition of love. That this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A commitment-based love. A commitment to be with us in that God sent his son commitment to be for us, that Jesus was a sacrifice, making a way for us to be united with the Father, and a commitment to be unto us. Because if God did not reach out to us in love, we could never become the people that he made us to be. And so our definition of love finds its roots in the person of Jesus Christ. And the way that he lived his life. And the example that he set for us. And that should be the love, the basis in which we love others. Commentator Michael Wilkins says it like this. That love is what God in Christ has shown and done for others in their helpless plight and hapless estate as sinners. In loving others, we take God's side. We share his outlook and we implement his designs. And we treat our neighbors as we know God has treated us. Absolutely love that. That as we seek to be a community of love, as we seek to define love, we ask the question, well, how does God love? How has Jesus loved? And how can I do the same? So how might we move towards greater maturity as a community of love? And first of all, TCC, I need to say to you that I I don't bring this message at all from a posture or thinking that, that this is an unloving community. I have found TCC to be incredibly loving, and I thank you for that. My hope for us this morning is to help us to consider how can we reach greater maturity in this area of love? How can we be so loving to our community that if this church ceased to exist, it would be felt in southwest Edmonton? How can we grow more in being a people of love well, I think first on an individual basis, we need to recognize and receive the love of God. First John chapter 4 verse 19 says that we love, why? Because he first loved us. So if we don't receive his love, I think it will affect our capacity to love others. 
Friends, we need to receive the love of God. We need to spend time in his word. We need to hear the voice of the Father speak his love over you. Even consider a passage like 1 Corinthians 13 when maybe you find yourself in a season of, of doubt or a season of feeling like, man, does God even love me? And to hear the word of God and to hear that God loves you and, and God to say to you that he is patient, he is kind. He is not arrogant. He is not keeping records of wrongs. That that is his posture and his perspective towards you. We need to recognize the truth of passages like Romans chapter 8 that ask the question, can anything separate us from the love of God? And Paul goes on and on by saying, no, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Have you received that? Do you know that to be true? Friends, I believe that loving others is dependent on our prayerfulness and our communion with God. For us to keep ourselves grounded in his love for us is first and foremost essential in our loving of others. So I believe that as we receive the love of God, we are empowered to pass that love along to other people. Because it is God alone who loves perfectly. And we need to tap into that love if we have any hope of passing it along to others. I think the, the Apostle Paul did this. Uh, he, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I yearn for you with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. And this word affection, it, it, in the Greek, it's kind of this idea of our emotional guts, or in, to put it, bring it into modern words, of feeling all of the feels. I'm feeling all the feels for you, Philippians. And what Paul is saying here is, is he loving them with his affection? Is he loving him with his own ability? No. He's loving them with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. And I believe that Paul would not have been able to do that had he not received that love from Jesus in the first place. So friends, the first thing in us maturing as a community of love is to recognize and receive the love of God as individuals and as a community. Uh, The second is to make love the measure of your spiritual maturity. We need to make love the measure of our spiritual maturity. Uh, This is an idea uh, from John Mark Comer. uh, When he talks about this idea of spiritual formation, spiritual development, uh, when we talk about um, engaging in spiritual practices so that we can mature as Christians, it is so easy for us to have all sorts of metrics. To ask the question, man, am I reading my Bible every day? Okay, yes, that's spiritual maturity. Am I praying every day? Yes, that's spiritual maturity. Am I evangelizing to my friends and my neighbors? Yes, that's spiritual maturity. According to Jesus, that is the wrong metric for your spiritual maturity. When I read the New Testament, Jesus is a lot more concerned about how loving we are than how well-versed we are in the Scriptures. Now hear me clearly that I'm not, there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with us pursuing reading the word of God and praying and evangelizing and fasting. These practices are so key. But when we ask the question, am I growing? Am I becoming more like Jesus? The metric I think that we rightly use is the metric of love. Am I more loving? So while you might look back over a year and say, well, did I read more scripture in 2022 than I read in 2021? A better question would be, am I more loving at the end of 2022 than I was at the end of 2021? Is Christ being formed in me and is the evidence of that a character of love? 
that I am more patient, that I am more kind, that I am not envious or boasting, that I am not arrogant towards others, that I am not rude, that I am not insisting my own way, but I'm yielding myself to others for their good. Am I bearing with my brothers and sisters more? Am I believing for their good more? Am I hoping for them more? Friends, these need to be the metrics of our spiritual maturity. And I want to encourage us that we need to start here. We need to start in church. May TCC be a practice arena of grace in which we rehearse and experience the love of Christ extended between brothers and sisters to be played out in our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, and our cities. If you want to grow in love, practice here. (laughs) Work it out here. Know that there's lots of grace for missteps. There's lots of grace for being unloving or, or living in unforgiveness for a time, but know that as a community of forgiveness, we're going to spur us all in this direction of being more like Jesus, which is to say, I'm going to spur one another in the direction of being more loving. We still might get angry. We will still feel offended and hurt. But when we are committed to the other person, to see them become their best, our anger, our hurt, our bitterness, all of that is subjected to love. Which means even though we're hurt, we aren't going to walk out. We aren't going to slander. We are not going to hurt back. Rather, we respond in love. So first, we recognize and receive the love of God. Second, we make love the measure of our spiritual maturity. And third, we make Jesus our teacher and exemplar of love. Earlier on in this message, I kind of alluded to the idea that I think our culture has a lot of messaging about what it is to be loving. But we need to come back to the Word of God. We need to come back to the person of Jesus and ask the question, how did he love? What did it look like for him to love? And we rightly ask the question, Jesus, how would you teach me to be more loving? And an answer to that question is easily found. And this is just one example. Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 27 to 31. if, um, If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But just those summary statements. But Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Jesus, what does love look like? Well, you can look at Luke chapter 6, 27 to 31. Do good to others. Bless them, which means when someone curses you, when someone says something bad about you, you don't turn around and say something bad about them. You bless them. That is how we show Christ-like love. How do we take on God's love? We pray for our enemies. Friends, if there's someone that you're struggling to love, if there's someone you simply don't like, if there's someone who you have no patience for, have you prayed for them? Pray for them. Bring them to the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you be more loving. When someone strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. This isn't about being a doormat, but I believe that this is about modeling the way of love. 
It's, it's when someone strikes you across the cheek, you aren't going to come down to their level and strike them back and act towards you the way that they acted. You're going to do to them what you would, the way that you would want to be treated. And you model for them the way of love. And you give. You see those who are hurting. You see the needs around you and you respond to them. That is how we love as Jesus loved. And again, this is one example. As we read the Gospels, we see all these examples of Jesus interacting with so many people, extending the love of the Father to a broken and hurting world. And then ultimately, Jesus going to the cross, giving up his life for you and for me. The perfect picture of self-sacrificing love. So when Jesus asks us, To love one another. We see that he's the one who demonstrated it. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. That is Jesus' example of love to us. And we need to love like him. (laughs) Friends, Jesus told us what we should be known for. This is where we started this morning. A new commandment I give you. That you would love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So TCC, may we be a community known for our love. May we be a community that exemplifies the same love that Jesus has given to us. May we exemplify it not only to one another, but to the world around us. I'm not sure how you hear this message this morning. Perhaps you hear me talk about the love of God and that seems foreign to you. It doesn't have to. God loves you. He's demonstrated his love for you in sending his son as a sacrifice for you. He laid down his life so that you could be in relationship with him. If you want to know more about that, there's lots of people you can talk to here at TCC to find out more about God's love for you. But I encourage you, don't leave this morning without receiving that love from God. Maybe some of you this morning are for the first time considering the fact that 1 Corinthians 13 is not a wedding passage. (laughs) But that it's a passage for a church. And that terrifies you. But I want to encourage you. As we grow to be people of love, it is a growth. It is over time. Perhaps this morning you are aware of the ways that you don't love. And that's okay. Jesus meets us in this place. We can give back to him and confess all the ways that we find ourselves to be unloving. And we can commit ourselves to becoming more like Jesus in love. Or maybe this morning you're hearing me talk and there's that face of someone that keeps coming into your mind. You're like, man, that person is hard to love. I encourage you even this morning to bring that relationship before the Father. To pray for that person. To ask Jesus to do a work in your heart that you would grow in love for them. So TCC, may we be a community of love. May we be known for our love. May we be a community that yields its rights to the betterment of others. 
May we be a community that doesn't just leave when we no longer like someone or something. May we be a community that forgives. May we be known for our love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when you called your disciples, when you commanded them to love one another, Lord, that was a high calling. And as we read in your word the many ways that that is fleshed out, as your disciples go on to form different communities of faith around the world, Lord, loving one another uh, is not easy. But God, we thank you that you have empowered us with your spirit to, to do more than we could ever do on our own. So Lord, may this community be one that radically loves one another. May this community be one where we demonstrate a love that is committed to seeing one another become more like Jesus. That we are committed to be with one another. That we are committed to be for one another. That we are committed to seeing the other person become more like Jesus. Lord, help us to grow in love, we pray. And may that love extend to this community and this city, to this world around us. And in it, Lord, may people come to know you and may you be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.